0: Morning, church. Son, look at that! I did it right the first time. Before before we get started, I just want to take a moment to catch you guys up on uh, a baptism that we had. We had a special baptism on Friday. John, he's in the back, back there. He can raise his hand. Hey, John, right? God orchestrated some events. John is from. Michigan and a, a pastor who was influential in leading him to Christ and in his small group, his, his AA group that was a part of him and the sanctification and in his walk coming to know Christ, they meet on Fridays. So we were able to baptize them here and do some magic with all that video stuff back there so his small group can participate and be a witness and just celebrate him giving his life to Jesus, and I said, hey, I got to let our church family know because you're a part of our church family, and so we just wanted to celebrate that with John. That is actually pretty cool. People across the United States could participate and be a part and see what God is doing in your life, so uh, that is cool just to be a part of that i got to take a deep breath because we are in John chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to John uh, chapter 19. I I can't wait to get started because actually all of the Bible before this points to this moment and all of the Bible after what we're going to talk about today points back to this moment. So that's a lot to cover. Somebody said, oh yeah, you could do it in 12 days. We're going to do it in 35 minutes. But today as we study this, as we get to look at John chapter 19, we're going to be looking at the second half. We get to see one of God's greatest miracle. And this miracle doesn't get a lot of attention. People don't talk about it much, but it's the one that not only gave you life. But through this miracle, we see God's perfect justice, His mercy. We see His grace. And as we look at this, we see His sovereignty more Than anything else. What we're going to see, this miracle that we're going to see, is God's eternal plan to rescue his people play out just the way he planned. Right? He had a plan from the very beginning, and now we're going to see it come to fruition. I want you just to think about that for a minute. When was the last time you designed the perfect plan, and it worked out just the way you planned, and it provided salvation or life for all of humanity that's kind of a high bar so let's just dial it back a little bit let's just lower the bar just a little bit when was the last time you made a plan told everybody about the plan and the plan went according to plan when was the last time that happened if you have kids i apologize for even asking a silly question (laughs) as a parent i often feel like Mike Tyson's opponent when I involve my kids in the plan. Mike Tyson said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? That's what I feel like when I make a dinner plan and then tell my kids what that plan is. Right? I feel like I just got punched in the face. In the military, we would spend hours upon hours upon hours making operational plans. We were so confident in our plans that we had this saying. The plan means nothing but the planning is everything right we knew our plan was not going to succeed right we knew it wasn't going to work and in, in the 1800s there was a, a perusian general a german general and he said no plan survives first contact with the enemy and that statement has proved true in every combat operation in the last 200 years so in essence when we were doing our planning we were actually doing plans for when our plan failed, right? We were planning, hey, this plan's going to fail. What are we going to do? Just like in real life, in the military, occasionally there would be this great result, and we would act like Hannibal Smith from the A-Team. We'd say, oh, man, I love it when a plan comes together, right? That's actually code for I have no idea how this happened, right? I didn't plan for this. I'm not sure how this happened, but it really happened by accident. Well, God's no fool to be pitied. That's another A-team reference, right? He had a plan to save us from the very moment that sin entered the world. From the very moment that sin entered in through Adam, God had a plan to save us, to save sinners. As we read through scripture, we see that God's plan was laid out by God. We see that the, the holy law points to that plan we see his plan is prophesied by the prophets we see that it's outlined throughout all of scripture and we even see that jesus himself said this is the plan this is what's going to happen throughout the gospel of john jesus has spoken of this eternal plan for salvation and he even said i'm telling you these things so that when they happen you will believe God has not been shy about sharing his plan with anybody, right? He has made it known to the world. This plan is extremely important, right? Not just knowing what happened, but also knowing why it happened, right? It's the, the knowing the plan was and how it happened what makes someone a believer. When we say we are a believer, we're not just saying, oh, we know what Jesus' plan was, We're saying we believe that Jesus' plan worked. We are saying that we are a believer. We not not only know the plan, but we believe the plan. That's what makes us believers. This morning we're going to get to see God's plan come to completion. Right? All of Scripture, everything that Jesus was saying we get to or God was saying, we get to see it be fulfilled. Everything that God said, everything that the law pointed to, everything that the prophets prophesied, everything that Jesus said would happen, we see it happen today. Let's look at God's plan to rescue us. We're going to see how that played out. Let me just get you caught up from last week. At this point in the story, at this point in the narrative, at this point in the Passion Week, Jesus has been arrested. He has stood in some kangaroo courts in front of the Jewish leaders. He's been handed over to Pilate, the, the Roman leader in the area. Pilate found him innocent, found nothing wrong with him, but in submission to the mob, right? We see that Pilate really isn't the king that he thinks he is. We see that Pilate really doesn't have the authority he thinks he has. He submits to the mob, and he hands Jesus over to be crucified. He hands Jesus over to be killed, And if we look at chapter 19, verse 16, it says, So he, talking about Pilate, delivered him, talking about Jesus, over to them, the the Roman guards now that are going to take him, get him ready to be crucified. And it says, So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place, the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. In Latin, it's called Calvary. Calvary. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray today as we look at this scripture, that we would understand your plan, that we would know who Jesus was, and that we would see this plan, and that our lives would be forever changed. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage, we would understand that we're not just forgiven, but we would know that we are forgiven, and we would come to the foot of the cross in worship and praise of who you are. Lord, we just pray that as we look at this passage, you would just open our hearts, you would guard my words, and may it be you that is glorified in everything that we talk about here today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and in your son's name of Jesus, we ask these words. Amen. So this morning, I just want to take a... a A quick look at this plan at God's plan to save sinners as as we see in this passage where it comes to completion where Jesus said it is finished and as we walk through this passage I want to look at Jesus's role in God's plan I want to look at what God's plan was and I want to look at what our response to his plan is how do we respond to God's plan so let's start by looking at how Jesus accomplished God's plan As we read through scripture, we know that the crucifixion of God's king is not an unforeseen disaster. As we read scripture, we know that God foreordained it before the beginning of time and he he revealed it throughout the Old Testament. Every detail of Jesus' death are a part of God's eternal plan. God orchestrated them. Jesus did not die as some helpless, weak peasant who was the victim of an angry mob or a cowardice ruler, but we see that Jesus gave up his life As a powerful king in complete control of everything that happens at his death. And we see that when somebody was crucified, the offense, what they were being crucified for is posted on the cross. So that when somebody is being killed, all the passerbyers know what their offense was. They know what they did. There's some irony in this point that that Pilate scribes out the king of the Jews and he put it in three languages three languages, which wasn't normal custom. But the, the irony of this is that this would point to Jesus' kingship of all the nations. Right? Every, everybody there that was from all over the world that was coming to, to celebrate Passover would be able to look at Jesus on the cross and read that text and know why he was there. But there be, should be something more if you were here last week or if you heard the message from last week. And Pastor Tim, he said Jesus was the... True king, right? He wasn't just the king of the nations. He was the true king of the eternal kingdom, of the heavenly kingdom that was to come. And so as we see those words, as we see Jesus as the king of the Jews, we should also remember that Jesus is the king of everything. Jesus, though he was weak and dying in reality, he was God's king. He was sent by God. He was accomplishing God's eternal purposes of rescuing God's people from eternal wrath. God, or Jesus, was fulfilling God's plan. The plan all along, from the very beginning, was to have one true king, one perfect king, one king without blemish, to come lay down his life, to pay the ransom for many, to rescue all sinners from their sins. That was the plan from day one, and here we see the one true king hanging on the cross. Throughout this passage, John is reminding his Readers that every detail has already been planned out. Every detail has already been mentioned. Everything that's happening at the the crucifixion is happening exactly according to God's will. And not only are there places where it says, see scripture, but as you read through that, there should be moments of you are like, oh, this sounds like Psalm 22, or oh, this sounds like Psalm 69, or this sounds like Exodus 12, or there's some passages from Numbers in there, and it's just all incorporated in there. And John is reminding his readers that every single detail was planned out right in describing the events John quotes a passage from Psalm 22 it says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots this is from Psalm 22 this is the same passage that Matthew references but he references the first verse the first verse of this which is my God my God why have you forsaken me and here we see Psalm 22 it continues but here's what's interesting about this if you continue to read Psalm 22 that both Matthew wrote about because Jesus quoted it and then we see it playing out at the feet of Jesus when we look at the psalm that was written by King David a, a thousand years before this. It's a psalm about someone who will be executed and someone who God will pour out his wrath on him. It talks about the executioners who are killing him are going to pass out his clothes. But as you continue to read the passage, God continues With promises that he will exalt this suffering, afflicted one. That he will raise him up. The passage goes on to say that those who seek him will be satisfied. And those who follow him will give praise to the Lord. He says, may your hearts live forever and all the nations will worship before this one. The kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations the coming generation shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. I want you to think about that last part of Psalm 22, that the coming generation shall come and proclaim the righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That was written a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. Here we are two thousand years after Jesus went to the cross and here we are proclaiming to generations to righteousness of people. None of you, none of our Family going way back, I don't know, great, 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 great grandparents were alive, but we are proclaiming the righteousness of Jesus to a generation not yet born when this happened. And in quoting this psalm, John is reminding his leaders that Jesus is hanging on the cross. It is no accident, but it is in complete fulfillment of the Old Testament. This event to which such detail belongs is the means by which he is accomplishing his eternal plan and solving humanity's greatest problem, sin. And we can tell from the scriptures, we can tell from John that this plan is going just as God planned. Everything that has been portrayed and illustrated about the coming Messiah through the Old Testament came to bear when Jesus fulfilled this action on the cross. When Jesus fulfilled went to the cross we see that he is accomplishing God's plan in every detail God is sovereign through all times and thousands of years in advance he had planned Jesus's suffering even to the the most minute details even to men casting lots for his clothes in front of him and as we continue we see that John is now eager to show us that Jesus's death is far from being an isolated event Right? This is God's plan. This is the climax towards which the whole Old Testament, everything of God's revelation and everything of God's activity points to this single moment in time. This is the key event in God's eternal plan and that is Jesus' death on the cross. Everything in Scripture points just to this. On the cross we see that Jesus accomplished God's plan. We see that on the cross, it is finished. As we have already seen, John includes a great number of specific details about Jesus' crucifixion and about Jesus' death. And in several verses, John makes sure to mention to us that these things happened to fulfill Scripture. Now there's many theologians and many biblical scholars and many language scholars. I'm far from a language scholar. I'm not even that good at English. But they're are people that have studied this and they have said when they look at the tenses and they look at the verbs and how those are rent- written they are not just referring to that specific scripture passage that is men- mentioned but it is a reference to the fulfillment of all of scripture that all of scripture is filled completely in this so when you read like psalm 22 115 it says i thirst and yes there's a direct reference to psalm 22 15 but the the text of the verse, the context says it's not just limited to that verse. It includes all of Scripture. All of Scripture points to this moment, to this time in human history. And clearly, when we read through the books, we can see that Jesus' death was not an accident at all, but it was a very intentional act. And as we read the Old Testament, as we look at John's accounting of it, we know this was a very well planned out event. The cross was an event in which in human history accomplished something that mankind by itself would never ever ever be able to accomplish. On the cross Jesus accomplishes the work of redemption, of restoration, of returning things back to the original creation the way that God had designed. And this was God's plan from the very very beginning. And as we read through the account of John maybe you notice that there was John doesn't emphasize the great physical sufferings of Jesus. Right? When we read through it, we don't see the graphic images of Jesus being beaten or flesh being torn from his body or blood dripping from his bow, his, his bu- I can't say it. brow, Thank you. Blood dripping from his brow. Um, like we see in the other gospels. We don't see the pictures of soldiers nailing spikes into his hand. And when we read this account, we have to ask, well why? Why doesn't John share those details with us? Because that wasn't John's focus. He wanted you to not only know what happened, but he wanted you to know why it happened. Right? Throughout this passage, he uses all these Old Testament passages that foreshadow not only Jesus' death, but if we continue to look back at those passages, if we know those passages, if we're familiar with those passages, we can see that they not only talk about the death of the Messiah, But they go on to reveal the glory and the grace and the forgiveness that would be unleashed on that day when Jesus said, it is finished. And knowing what had happened is important, but knowing why it happened is is essential to believers. To, To follow Christ, we must not only know what happened on the day Jesus died, but we must know why it happened. We must recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We must understand that Jesus is the perfect savior who was able to go to the cross and to die for us. If we only know what happened, if we only know the details and the skin and the pain and the physical suffering that Jesus endured because of us, then calling it Good Friday doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It wasn't a Good Friday. It was a horrible Friday. That's a bad day. But if we know why it happened, and we believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, and we believe that it was through his death that we have life, that we know because of his death that we not just have life, we have eternal life in the presence of God's glory, then all of a sudden, Good Friday makes a lot of sense. Right? It's the, it's the goodest day in all of history. All right? it, is a, it is a day that we should reflect back to in celebration and not sorrow. And it's actually right there in verse 30 where God's plan is completed and saviors like me and you are saved. Verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Our Savior has been crucified. Our Savior has died it is finished right throughout the gospel of john he continues to point us to the coming death of our savior that this is going to happen it's clearly an event that he has been foreshadowing for his entire gospel in chapter one he talked about the slaying of the lamb referring to jesus on the cross in chapter two he talked about the destroying of the temple talking about jesus Chapter 3, he talks about the lifting up of the serpent when we talk about Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Chapter 10, we talk about the shepherd laying down his life. Chapter 12, we talk about the planting of the seed, that the seed must die and give life to others. John has been directing us to this day from the very beginning of his gospel. This is what his gospel points us to. This is the climax of his gospel, but this isn't only the climax of his gospel. This is the climax of the entire Bible. The entire Bible points to this time of Jesus hanging on a cross and saying, it is finished. All of history prior to that date looks forward to that date in anticipation. And all of history after that date looks backwards to that date in celebration. As early as chapter 3 of Genesis, the first words that we see of God speaking to the serpent after the fall, after uh, uh, sin has entered the world, points to this day. Throughout the Old Testament, prophecies and types of Jesus were fulfilled when Jesus cried out, it is finished. The once and for all sacrifice was now complete when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Right? The, the righteous demands of the holy law every single one was met when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Our sins were forgiven completely and totally and forever when Jesus cried out, it is finished. See those words, it is finished, it proclaims that all the work that the Father had sent Jesus to accomplish was now complete. Once and for all, he had put away sin by sacrificing himself once and for all right there's there's no more penalty left to be paid for our sins there's nothing we need to do or even can do to make up for our sins it reminds me of a a guy who came to a pastor and said i want to give my life to jesus what can i do and he said it's too late it's already been done there's nothing you can do because Jesus did it on the cross. It is finished. By dying on the cross, Jesus completes and, and completes, not partially completes, not that there's something left for you to do. It is totally done. Jesus has done the work. He makes atonement for our sins. His death on the cross is the basis of forgiveness for all who believe in Him. As a result of that Friday, listen to this. As a result of that Friday, Good Friday, Jesus, Jesus atoned for, right? Paid for. Paid the penalty for every single genocide that was ever allowed, right? Every hungry nation that was been ignored, for every person that's been enslaved, for every forgotten. Orphan, for every murder, for every rape, for every abusive act, for every harsh word, for every theft, for every drunken moment, for every racist thought, for every assault, every adulterous thought, every jealous moment, every moment of pride. And get this one. Every word of gossip that has come out of your mouth, Jesus has forgiven. Jesus has forgiven every sin ever committed by me or by you by by everyone has been forgiven that they were nailed to the cross and Jesus said it is finished the the penalty for these sins if we just think about the penalty for our sins we could think about this for I don't know about you maybe it's weeks or months for me I think for years I could be thinking about the sins that Jesus paid on the cross for me and if we're honest with each other and we take all of humankind and all of humanity, it will take all of eternity to reveal all that happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. It will take all of eternity to fully understand what it means when Jesus said, It is finished. But here's what we need to know, church. Here's what we need to know, and here's what we need to believe right now. It's really simple. We just have to believe it is finished right? It is done. We just have to know and trust and believe and put our faith in Jesus' words that it is finished. The plan and purpose of God sending the son to earth to die on behalf of a sinful man has now been accomplished. And Jesus yelled out the word telestai. He yelled out the word it is finished in total. The debt is paid in full. It is finished. In church, it is natural for us when we think about what happens when we think of Jesus and his physical manifestation up on the cross. When we think about the blood coming down his face. When we think about seeing maybe his bones and ligaments or skin was torn away. It is natural for us to think of that and to bow our heads in sorrow. But if we take a step back and we say, oh no, no. This is what happened, right? This is where we were saved. This is where we were given life. This is where Jesus was victorious. Our hearts should dance with joy. Now, Jesus accomplished God's plan to save us by becoming the true Passover lamb. Right? We see that it was the lamb, the, the lamb that is the savior in God's plan. As we look at the ending verses of this Chapter they testify to Jesus' death and his position as the Passover lamb. The Old Testament Passover lamb, this lamb without blemish and without broken bone, was a mere foreshadowing of the once and for all Passover lamb, for the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And throughout this passage, John's quoting passages from Exodus and, and Numbers, Right, to talk about the Passover, that talk about the requirements and the specifics of the Passover Lamb. He's confirming the fact that for the last time, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Jesus is the one that God sent. Jesus is the answer to God's plan to save us all. And remember, it's the day of preparation. Remember why everybody is in Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is about to begin. They're doing a celebration of a 1,500 years prior to this when a lamb was killed for each family and the blood was sprinkled on the doorpost. And that blood saved, that blood rescued those family that was inside that house. It saved them from death. And as we read through John's gospel, he says, he tells us that Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He is without blemish, he's without broken bone. And his blood that was shed now rescues us. He was the once and for all sacrifice. Though so through his sinless life, without blemish, he was perfect. Right? Jesus became the only one capable of giving people a way to escape death and a sure hope of eternity spent with God all of scripture and all of human history points to this moment and as I said before everything after this points back to that if we just open up our Bibles you look at First Peter who is writing of this event in First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 Peter writes talking about this event knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Even as Peter writes about this event, he said this wasn't a surprise event. Jesus, God shared this with us Uh, He he foreknew this from the beginning of time That this was going to happen He knew he was going to send his son Who was going to shed his blood Who was going to save you Jesus is the lamb without blemish It was his blood that was shed for us And if we look at the Old Testament prophets uh, Zechariah He prophesied, And this was shared in there It talks about um, That they will look on him who was pierced there will be an opening of grace and pleas. And they'll look on him who they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And he's referring, and Jesus is going to be pierced in his side. It goes on to say that on that day, mourning in Jerusalem will be Great. And it describes the mourning and the suffering. But as you continue, don't just stop at the end of verse 14. Go on to 13.1. And, and Zechariah says this, But on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. And Jesus was the Lamb. He is the one that opened up the floodgates of forgiveness and grace that have poured down on us Jesus' death as the Passover lamb opened up the fountain of righteousness to all of those who believe we do not need to fear judgment we do not need to try to earn forgiveness but you know what we should do we should praise and worship the king who has given his life to rescue his people he is the the lamb he is the, the Passover lamb and we should worship him as such. Church, so often we look at the passion of the week and we get with sorrow, but we just need to understand when we read this, Jesus' death is not a failure. Right? This is not a, a failure, but it's the point at which he accomplished exactly what he came here to do. This was a victory, dying in the place of God's people as the Passover lamb, opening for all of us a fountain of forgiveness and grace and accomplishing God's plan by achieving our rescue. This is something to celebrate. This is something where we see God's glory and God's sovereignty and we see God's power. And so when we read this, what are we to do? We're to praise him. We're, We're to worship him. That's our part of the plan in verse 35, John gives us the application to this passage. Now, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. As a pastor, I love it when the author of the, part, the scripture we're going through gives us the application, right? That makes my job a little bit easier when we're saying, okay, so what do we do? What do we do? In verse 35, John tells us what we are to do. In John 35, John address. this is John, uh, verse 35 of chapter 19, John addresses the reader and he says, as an eyewitness, so I'm writing this as an eyewitness of the things that has happened, I'm telling you these events so that you might believe, right? I'm, I'm telling you these things that happened so that you might believe. John is helping us, right? Most of us don't have the Old Testament memorized and he's just saying, hey, remember when God talked about this? And he said there was going to be somebody who was going to be killed. He's going to be executed. They were going to divide up his clothes. Remember when he talked about this? Remember when he said there was going to be a lamb? And the blood's going to be shed to save people. They're, they're going to be perfect and without blemish. Remember all those things? And Jesus said, And John says, hey, look, they're happening. As a witness, as somebody who's witnessing you, and I'm telling you this, so that you will believe. John wants you to believe that Jesus is not only a king, But he is the king of the eternal kingdom. (coughs) John wants you to believe that Jesus is not just a good teacher. That he's not just a good ruler. That he's not just a good person. John wants you to believe that Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sent to save you. Whose blood was shed so that you could be saved. Jesus as king gave up his life and was the Passover lamb that rescued us from our sins and all the sins of humanity. It is on the cross that he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This was God's plan from the beginning. And so when we look at the application, the application is we have to look at ourselves and say, do we believe? Right? Do, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished God's plan to save you? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross healed you? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross restored you? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross forgave you of all of your sins? Do you believe, right? So we can nod our heads with that lots of times. right? Oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that. But scripture says that not only did it rescue us from our sins or save us from our sins, it made us in his righteousness, we we were made in Christ's righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. Do you believe that God's plan made you righteous? Do you believe that Jesus is the Passover lamb who died so that you could live? Do you, do you believe that God's plan was successful? You just look at your life. Am I still trying to earn God's salvation? Do I not feel forgiven? Am I living under the the burden of guilt and shame? Or do I believe that God has taken care of all of that and I now find joy in the life that God has for me? Church, Jesus' death on the cross is not a tragedy or a failure or some sob story. And and nor should we ever look at it that way. It happened just as the, the scriptures described. It happened just as God has planned And I know as as a pastor, this is going to sound really, really, really strange, but when we look at the Passion Week, man, we should celebrate, right? We should celebrate what that work means. We should look at that Passion Week and see the awesomeness of God. We should see the sovereignty of God. We should be lost in the awe of God. We should see the victory of God. We should see the eternal purposes of God rescuing His people, all coming to that point that was revealed in Scripture, that was and history was accomplished on that day when Jesus cried out, It is finished. He was victorious. And through Christ we can be victorious. Through Christ we can have joy. It is all done. And it happened on that day that it was finished. Yeah. I wish, right? I wish that Jesus didn't have to suffer for me. But dang, I'm glad that he did. Right, I'm, I'm glad that there was a plan for this, that God knew that I was weak, that God knew I was not gonna be able to do this and that God sent his son to save me so that one day I could stand in the presence and the glory of God and worship him. But here's the deal. When you believe, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to stand in the presence of God. Right, that is something that happens. When you believe, God comes to you and you can experience that joy you can experience the presence of God. You can understand eternity just a little bit better because God's plan was successful. Because God was victorious and those who believe His plan are saved just as He planned it. All right, if you've never believed in God's plan to rescue you from your sins, Right, if you're still being held slave to your sins or held slave to your past, or you have current fears that are keeping you down, or you have an unbelief that Jesus would die for you, there's no way that a righteous man, that God would see me and would die for me. Well, the truth is, he has a plan for you. Right, and he's already done his part, he's already executed his plan. In this passage, we see that the very man that came to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he was afraid of what others would think. We see the very man that hid out because his unbelief at some of the things that Jesus told him just didn't make sense. Right, This is the same man that Jesus told him the plan. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We see that same man would later be one of the men that would climb up on the cross and would help take Jesus off the cross, would help lower him, would help clean him. As they talked about being prepared for burial, he would clean him, maybe take some thorns out of his head, maybe put some ointment on the side, maybe wipe up that blood, and he would take his Savior, and he would gently place him in the tomb. God had a plan for him, and God has a plan for you. If you want to learn more about God's plan for you, I'd love for you to come see me after service. Send me an email, and I would love to share with you. I'd love to talk with you about what God's plan is. We see his plan. It's not a secret. It's in all of Scripture. Jesus does not hide this just for him and his two or three buddies. No, 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 no. He's put it in the Bible. And John shares the plan with you so that you would believe, so that you would know him as your Savior. But church, if you do believe, if you're saying, no, 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 I believe that, then here's the, the, the challenge for this week. I want you to open your scripture. I want you to return to the cross. I want you to celebrate. I want you to worship the victory that Christ won for you there. Spend extra time focusing on the victory. Sometimes we get away from it. Sometimes we, we see the gospel and we say, that's nice, I want to know what Peter said, or I want to study this message from Paul. Right, All of them, all of the authors of Scripture said go back to the cross. You want to know what we're talking about? You want to know the joy and the love of Jesus? Go to the cross and celebrate the victory that he has won for you. So this week, spend some time at the foot of the cross. Spend some time praying and spend some time worshiping our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so, we're so grateful for the cross. And while sometimes we can get distracted from what was done at the cross, Lord, we pray that you would take our hearts, that we would see that was done, that we would remember, right? We would remember the, the things that were done to Jesus. But Lord, more than anything, we would pray that you would grab our hearts and we would know what was accomplished when Jesus said it was finished. Lord, we pray that you would draw us to you, that you would help us grow in you. And Lord, there's, there's so many of us in here saying, yeah, 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 Lord, I know. I know. I know what you did. But Lord, I just pray this week that we would come to the cross. You would teach us more about who you are. You would reveal just some more of your love and your grace that you've shown in each of our lives. Lord, you would just show us a little bit more of what Jesus accomplished when he said it is finished and our hearts would be renewed and our love for you would just grow and grow and grow. Lord, we pray that as we walk out of these church doors, that when we go out into the world, that people would see lives that were transformed by the blood of Jesus. We would see that while Jesus accomplished it and is finished, that you are still working in and through us for the, your glory. Lord, we just pray that you would give us one time this week that we could share the glory of God with somebody who needs to know the hope of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you and it's in your son's name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen.